for John the Baptist preparing the way, for John the Apostle for preparing the way, for Isaiah, we've read today, who prepared the way, and that great cloud of witnesses who've prepared the way for your coming, for your first coming, for your coming into our hearts and lives, for your coming again. It is for that we gather and worship you this day, Lord, and we pray that as we hear your word, you might convict us, that you might move us, that you might restore us, that you might revive us, that you might change us, Lord. Turn our hearts toward yourself. Empower us by your Spirit to boldly share this gospel during this season of the year, particularly as we go around this community. And Father, we pray that the gospel might be declared in our community, around our nation, and around our world by your people. Thank you for your word, we pray. Your blessings on the proclamation of your word this day. Empower pastor, give him the words that you would have him speak to us. And God, you do your work. And we'll promise to give you all the praise and glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I invite you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. You guys ever have days where things just don't go right? Yeah? Anyone having one of those days this morning? Well, it's just me and you, Marianne. Glad to know I'm in company today. The uh, Just a, a warning shot across the bow here. The last thing that happens usually before I come in here is to print my final version of my notes, my sermon notes. And um, every piece of technology in the office did not work this morning. So um, what I have is about half of what I prepared. And so we'll... Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll wing through it this morning and uh, enjoy studying John the Baptist. Uh, so if you're wondering what I was whispering to Pastor Frank there, he, he could emerge at some point with papers in hand, uh, your salvation for the day to keep me from rambling. And uh, if he does, you should applaud for sure. Uh, if not, uh, we'll be fine. The Lord will guide us. Uh, turn with me to John chapter 1. We, we continue in our, our study of John's gospel we uh, have uh, just made a little bit of headway into this, and, uh, and yet I, I trust that you're already uh, intrigued and interested in what uh, the Apostle John has been teaching us, uh, focusing our attention and our thoughts on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the last couple of weeks, uh, Pastor Frank has dealt with uh, the first five verses, this rich uh, first section of the prologue of this book, 
uh, where, where John declares for us who Christ is. He declares him as the word who was with God and the word who was God. He talks about him being the life and a light who shines into the darkness and this rich truth as to who Christ is. And today we turn our attention to verses 6 through 8, and then jumping down to verse 19 through 34. And just a little note here as to why we're, we're taking it this way. The way John lays out the prologue here, he gives us the first five verses there that, that just really dwells on the glory of who Christ is. And then in verses 6 through 8, he introduces us to a witness that we'll talk about this morning, John the Baptist. But then when you hit verse 9, down through verse 18, he reverts back to the theme of verses 1 through 5, the the glory of Christ and Christ being the light and the Word and the Word becoming flesh and all of these things. And the focus becomes Christ. And then when you hit verse 19, it's as though the camera of the movie shifts back to John the Baptist again. So when we get to heaven, we can ask John the Apostle why he chose to lay it out this way. Uh, Why did he choose not to just give us all there was about Christ altogether and then shift to John and move on? Uh, But he doesn't do that for some reason. For some reason, he introduces John the Baptist. He moves back to the glory of Christ. And then he comes back to John the Baptist again. So in order to to prevent some confusion, what we're going to do this morning is take verses 6 through 8 and then verses 19 through 34, this section that deals with John the Baptist. And then next week, we'll come back and we'll catch verses, um, uh, verses 9 through 18. Does that sound like a good plan for you? Are you completely confused already? Okay, I hope not. And so we're going to talk about John the Baptist this morning. But let me just give you a a moment of review as to what's going on in the book of John, the Gospel of John. And so that we're not confused using the term John, uh, we're we're dealing with two Johns this morning. Uh, There's one John who wrote this Gospel, John the Apostle, who in the Gospel itself never calls himself by name. He's going to be talking to us about another John, John who's commonly known as the Baptist, and uh, who we just sang about in the hymn a few moments ago. He's going to be the focus of our text this morning. Um, so when we talk about John, whenever you see John, the name John, in the book of John, it's not John the author, it's John who? The Baptist. All right, you got that part, so we're good to go so far. But John the author is writing his gospel uh, with a very, very specific purpose. Um, As we noted in our introduction to this series, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all to some degree are giving us uh, the history uh, of the life and ministry of Jesus, right? You know that much. And we talked about the fact that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels, and, and they contain a lot of the same information, some overlapping information, historical information about the life and ministry of Jesus. But when we give the fourth Gospel, John's Gospel, it's altogether different. John here is not intending to give us just a history of the life of Jesus. He is giving us uh, snippets of the life and ministry of Jesus, selected very carefully with a very specific purpose in view. And he tells us in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, exactly what his purpose is. He says this, Now Jesus did many other things or many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is laser-focused in what he's after in writing this book. He is laser-focused in what he intends to accomplish through it. He is writing things. He is writing pieces of history. He's writing about things that he saw and that he witnessed and things that he knows. And the goal of that is that people might hear it, that they might believe it, 
and a believing they might have life in Christ. That is what John... John is an evangelist. That's what he's after in writing this book. He is after evangelism. He wants to present Christ. He wants to call people to believe in Christ. And he wants people, upon believing, to gain eternal life in Christ. You see, John was an apostle. He heard Jesus... Final words. Do you remember what his final words to the apostles were just before he ascended into heaven? What were they? Great commission. The last thing he told them was to go into all the world, right? And to make disciples of all nations, baptizing people, teaching them all that he's commanded. It was a commission to go and evangelize the world, to make disciples. John had heard that call from Christ, and he had taken it exceedingly seriously. And John writes this gospel with that in mind. With that purpose in mind, in obedience to the command of Christ to go and to tell and to make disciples, John writes this book. John took that calling very, very seriously, far more seriously than most believers today take that call. And this book is John's obedience to that. And as we get into our text this morning, we'll read it in just a second. Uh, when we get into the text, you're going to notice the language John uses. He uses terms like testimony and witness over and over and over again. You're going to see this recurring throughout the Gospel of John, these words testimony and witness. In John's day, similar to our day, those words kind of conjure up images in our mind of a courtroom. It's courtroom imagery. John is coming right out of the chute this morning and he's using language and he's saying to you and he's saying to me, I'm going to present to you a case. I have a case to present for your consideration. And my case is this. Jesus Christ, the one who lived, the one who was born in Bethlehem to Mary and Joseph, the one who lived his life among us, the one whose, whose miracles many of you saw, those were his words uh, many of you heard, the one who was crucified and buried, that very same Jesus Here's my case. He's not just a man. He's not just a good prophet. He is God incarnate. He is the Son of God. And John says, here's the courtroom case. I'm going to lay out my case for you. And in laying out my case, I'm going to bring forth witnesses. And I'm going to put before you witnesses to make the case. And they're going to give testimony before you. And in a sense, you're the jury. You're listening to the testimony of the witnesses. And John is going to say at the end of the testimony, now you must render a verdict. You must render a verdict. Do you believe the witness that I have laid out before you? Do you believe the testimony of these witnesses? Do you confess Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe in Him? Do you believe in Him? So in a real sense, as we enter into John's gospel this morning, it's as though you and I are stepping into a courtroom. And John is the prosecuting attorney, and he is calling before us witnesses, and we'll see this all throughout the gospel, the witnesses that he'll bring. He calls a lot of them here. He's going to call the first one this morning, but as we move through the book, he's going to call the father as a witness. He's going to call a Samaritan woman as a witness before the court. He's going to call a crowd of observers. He's going to call the works of Jesus. He's going to even call the whole of the Old Testament as a witness in this court case that he's going to present. In fact, John's going to even call the Holy Spirit as a witness. So it ought to be an interesting court case. So if any of you are out there and you like to watch court TV, you're going to really be interested in the Gospel of John because John is doing such a thing, presenting such a case. And John fully expects that his original readers and those like us who would read his words centuries down the line of history, he fully expects that everyone who hears what he has to present will render a verdict, a personal verdict. 
about who Christ is. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 36, John says this. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Why do I point that out? Because John is not just presenting a case for our intellect. He's presenting a case that's aimed at our heart, that we might believe and receive Christ. And he's saying all of your eternal destiny hangs in the balance of what decision you render in the case. Everything about you, everything about your eternal future hangs in the balance in regard to how you evaluate the case I'm presenting, John says. You'll do one of two things. You'll either believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you'll receive Him and find life or you won't believe it and you'll be trapped in eternal death. That is John's case. And so the court case that we step into this morning is a serious case. And it's brought to us by a serious apostle of Christ. And we're going to be called to evaluate the evidence and render a decision. Now, before we read the text, one other little interpretive note. We need to make a note about the timing of what we're going to read this morning. We're going to read about John the Baptist. But John isn't giving us all there is to know about John the Baptist. John the Apostle gives us selections. Matthew and Luke, the other gospel writers, give us more detail. We'll refer to them in a bit. But in order to make sense of the timing, you need to understand. When we pick up in verse 19, let me just go down to verse 19 and read that. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Okay. In verse 19, uh, John the Apostle tells us we're going to pick up the story. And the story begins where these priests from Jerusalem go to where John the Baptist is doing his ministry, and they begin to have a conversation with him. When does that chronologically take place? That's important for us to know at the beginning. We need to understand a couple of things. When these events take place that we'll read about this morning, a couple of things have already happened. Jesus has already been baptized by John the Baptist. Okay, get that part in your mind. Otherwise, you'll be confused when we get here. Jesus has already come onto the scene... He's already been baptized by John the Baptist. Do you remember what happened right after Jesus' baptism? Anybody remember? Okay, the Bible tells us immediately he headed out to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And he was there at least for 40 days. Okay? And then after that, Christ returns back to the area of Galilee. The events that we read this morning take place after the baptism of Jesus while he is away at the temptation. John continued his ministry during this time, and it's during this time that these events take place. And as we get to the end of our text, we'll see Jesus comes back onto the scene. And John is going to see him, and he's going to say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So just in order for you to understand the context of the timing That happens upon Christ returning from his wilderness temptation. All right? So that's enough of the timing and the background. Let's get into the text, okay? Looking at chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Here's what John the Apostle records for us. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And then verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? 
he confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you're neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Then John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands, uh, stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we hear the testimony of history this morning concerning who you are. That you are much more than a good man, much more than a wise prophet, much more than just one who was born in Bethlehem and lived a, a righteous life and was murdered and crucified on a tree. You are much more than these things. You are the Son of God. You are God incarnate, Christ in flesh, God with us, Emmanuel. We pray that as we hear the court case of John the Apostle this morning, we pray that we would be drawn to hear it, to receive it, to believe that you are who you've said you are, And perhaps even this morning that some would believe, and for the very first time, they would believe and find eternal life in you. For this is our prayer this morning. You make it so in Christ's name. Amen. You didn't see him, but Pastor Frank came in while we were praying. You can applaud now if you like. Um, He has saved the day. And so here, John the Apostle laying out his court case, calls his first witness. And his first witness is John the Baptist. And in verse 6, we see the first thing that we need to know about John the Baptist. We're told right out of the chute, there was a man sent from God, and his name was John. So witness number one is a man. And what's really interesting is John the Apostle lays this out. As he begins not talking about men, he begins telling us in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the focus is on the preexistence of Christ, that He's been around forever, that He is God in the flesh, and that He's the light, the life who's the light of men. And then the camera shifts, and we go from talking about the glorious Word of God, who is the light in the darkness, to now there was a man. There was a man. And his name was John. 
And this man, John, is like any other man. He has a history. Now, John, the apostle, doesn't give us his history. We have to go back, and if you want to, you can. Go back to Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3 or Matthew chapter 3, if you like. And we can catch a little glimpse of who this guy is, this John, this man that John the Apostle introduces to us. Uh, He's a very unique person. If you go back to Luke chapter 1, you see that uh, he's not an ordinary man. His birth indicates to us that he's not an ordinary man. In Luke chapter 1, Luke tells us something about John's birth. He tells us that his parents were unique, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Do you know anything about these parents of John the Baptist? What do you know about them? Okay, Zechariah was a priest. That is true. Okay, they were relatives to some degree of Mary and Joseph, who were certainly the um, human parents of Christ. We're introduced to these parents in Luke chapter 1, and we find Zechariah, this priest who is, is performing his priestly duties in the temple, and uh, he is, he's visited. Uh, he's visited by an angel. And this angel comes to him and, and appears to him, and this angel says, uh, uh, says something. He says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you'll have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. I like, you know, in biblical language, that sounds so distinguished. Can you imagine how John responded to that? Can you tell me that message again? We're going to have a what? Have you checked out my birth certificate? Do you see the wrinkles? What about Elizabeth? You know? But the angel had declared to them, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be a special son. Well, as as the story unfolds, you you flip over a couple pages in your Bible to Luke chapter 3, excuse me, the end of of chapter 1, in verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Guess what happened? Exactly what the angel said would happen to Zechariah and Elizabeth happened. They bore a son, and we find that they named him John. And there were all sorts of other miraculous things going on here surrounding the birth of John the Baptist. And in verse 80 of chapter 1, it says, The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And that's a couple pages over in chapter 3. So we're told about his birth. It's unique. He's, he's born to this, this priest and his wife who are old, beyond the age of typically bearing children. He's born uh, in, in the context of this, of this miraculous angelic vision uh, given to his parents, saying this is going to be a special child. He's not going to be just anyone. He's going to be very unique. He's going to fill a unique role. And if you look at Matthew chapter 3, you find some other unique things about John. This, this John that John introduces to us, he's an interesting looking character. In John chapter 3, it says, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Now, unless you think that's just, you know, what everybody ate in the Bible, it's not. And that was strange even in John's day. 
So we have this guy who's an interesting character. We're told there's all this miraculous stuff going on around his birth, that God gives him to this couple in a miraculous way, and he, and he foretells even before he's born that he's going to have a very unique role in the history of the church. And then he's born, and just as the angel says, and, and he grows up. And, and when we get to chapter 3 of Luke or chapter 3 of Matthew, we see that he enters into his ministry, this ministry that God had, had birthed him for. And it's a very unique ministry, and he looks very unique. He's eating unique things. He's wearing strange clothing. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of the strange things that this guy's doing. We find that he's out by the River Jordan, and he's preaching, and his message is this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it says in verse 5 of chapter 3 of Matthew, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him that they might be baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So here we have this guy, this, this unique man, who has all this stuff going on around him, and he launches into a very unique ministry. And that ministry is unique because it's a ministry aimed at Jewish people as, 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 as Israelites, and what is he doing to them? He's calling them to repent of their sins, and then what is he doing to them? You catch, his name is John the Baptist, people, okay? It's not because he was a Methodist, it's because he was baptizing people. That's what he was doing to them. He was baptizing Jewish people in a river. And this would have been so bizarre in his day. Um, First of all, baptism was not a, a commonly used ritual of the day. There was a Jewish proselyte baptism, but that was just something that would occasionally be done to Gentile people who converted to Judaism. There was never a sense in which Jews would go and be baptized because Jews saw themselves as Abraham's children. And because uh, by virtue of the fact that they belonged to the line of Abraham, they assumed that they were God's people and right with God. And here comes this man, John, saying, no, you're not. You can't rely on that. It has nothing to do with you being a part of Abraham's seed. It has everything to do with your heart. And your hearts are filthy and they're dirty and they're sinful. And in order for you to be made right with God, in order for you to be ready for what's about to happen, you must be cleansed. Repent of your sin and be washed as a symbol of your cleansing. This would have been radical. It would have been scandalous. And indeed it was. And it is this man that John the Apostle in chapter 1 calls forth as his first witness in his court case. Jesus had an evaluation of John the Baptist. Do you know what Jesus said about this man? Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Now that's a pretty high commendation, isn't it? For Jesus to say that among those who've been born of men, there is no one up to this point that has been greater than this man. He's the greatest man who's what? Who's ever lived. When you think of that in light of who's lived previous to him, that's a pretty high mark. I mean, David lived before him. Abraham lived before him. Many prophets lived before him. Many kings, many righteous men. Everybody that we see in the Old Testament lived before him. And Jesus declares this man, John the Baptist, is the greatest man who's ever lived. That's a high commendation. 
And so John the Apostle sets out to make his court case that Jesus is the Son of God. And he says to the courtroom, courtroom, let me introduce to you my first witness that you need to hear. And before I tell you much about him, you need to know he is the, he's the greatest man who ever lived, according to Jesus. There was a man sent from God. Well, John tells us he was sent from God. That's interesting to know about John, right? We need to know that about him. This witness is being called in the courtroom to testify that Jesus is the Son of God. He is a man with a history that we've just skimmed the surface of. But he's not just an ordinary man. He's a man who was sent by God for a purpose. And as we're going to see, his purpose was to witness the Messiah, to prepare the way, to declare who he was and his coming to the people. And you know that this has been God's ordinary means of sharing the truth about Christ all throughout history. You know how God does that? It began with John the Baptist and it continues right down to our day. When God wants to declare who His Son is in the world, you know how He does it? He sends men to declare it. And when we say sends men, we include ladies in that as well. He sends people. You think of all the ways that God could have declared the identity of His Son to humanity. I mean, God has all the means of the universe at his disposal, right? He could have written it in the sky. He could have declared himself from some heavenly voice who his son is. And he does that at the baptism. But the ordinary means by which God heralds the identity of his son, Jesus, is by the mouths of people, by men. How is it that the people of John's day knew who Jesus was, knew that the Messiah was came? God sent them a man. He sent him a man. His name was John. And that's God's primary means of spreading the word about the Messiah. He calls men and he calls women and he sends them out to testify about the Son. And all throughout the history of the church, this is how the gospel has spread. He called and sent his disciples at the beginning and he sent them out. He called and he sent the Apostle Paul. And we read about that. And Paul becomes a witness for Christ, for the Messiah. He called and sent various others all throughout the history of the church. And right up to this day, he still He's still calling men and he's still calling women and he's still sending them to herald the message of Christ, that he's the Son of God. I don't know if you read it this past week in the news. Maybe you saw the news article. Uh, One such herald of the gospel was killed this week in Benghazi, Libya. Did you read about that? A man named Ronnie Smith, a 33-year-old man from Texas who was a, uh, a missionary who had gone to Benghazi to share the gospel of Christ. And if you read about this man, maybe you can go back and, and, and read some of the news articles about him that were published this week. But what you'll find is he's just an ordinary man who heard the call of God upon his life to go. God sent him. He sent him to do exactly what he sent John the Baptist to do. To go and proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To declare his son among people who didn't know him. He was killed this week and in the midst of that very venture. And all around the world this morning, God is taking the gospel of His Son, Jesus. He's declaring that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah who's come, and He's doing it through the lips of men and women who He's called and who He's sent and who have obeyed and who have gone. And the reality is that that's how you heard about Christ, isn't it? If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, there's only one way you know about it. God sent a man to you. He sent a woman to you who would tell to you Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the Messiah who's lived, who's died, who's buried, and who's been raised 
And you can believe on Him and have eternal life. Somebody told you. The only way that people hear about the gospel, for the most part, is God sends men and women to declare it, to herald it. God is a sending God. And I wonder this morning if it's possible that somehow, somewhere, God is calling one of us. Maybe there's somewhere He's got for you to go. Maybe there's somebody in your circle of influence that needs to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and He's calling you and He's sending you. Are you, are you listening? Are you willing to obey that? Are you willing to go? Maybe this morning for some of you, maybe for some of you, God has been calling you for some time more than just your circle of influence. Maybe He's calling you uh, to be a missionary, to be a pastor, to serve in some sort of, in some sort of uh, larger role in the kingdom of God, to be a person that He could send to be a herald of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder if He's calling you, are you, are you open to that this morning? Or are you resisting that? I hope that you're open to it. John Piper says this, We serve a saving and sending God. He provides the foundation of our salvation in Jesus Christ, and then He provides the means of our salvation in those whom He sends. Let this have an enlivening effect on you. God is at work now, today, moving His witness through the world, making them the means of His saving work. Is it possible that God's calling you? Is it possible that God would intend to send you? I wonder. Only you can know that, but God will tell you. Well, this is what John was. He was a man. He was a man who was sent by God to herald the Messiah. And that's exactly what he had been doing. And he had been doing this uh, quite dramatically by the Jordan River. And his, his way of doing this had stirred up all sorts of controversy. It had, it had captured the attention of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And so when we pick up with verse 19... We pick up with what's going on. John is doing what God's called him and sent him to do. He's, he's, he's preparing the way for the Messiah. And we see in verse 19 that Jews uh, from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites. You could just say they sent a little posse from Jerusalem down to, to, to find out what this guy's doing. He stirred up trouble. They're concerned about him. They're concerned about the crowds that he's attracting. Why would that be a concern for Jewish religious leaders? Because they were incredibly jealous and they wanted no competition. So they were concerned this man was attracting a crowd. They were concerned about the message he was preaching. He was preaching repentance to Jews and they did not want to hear that. They were concerned that he was baptizing. So they send a, they send a group down to find out what's going on. And this group shows up in verse 19 and they begin to question John concerning his identity. They want to know, who is this guy? Verse 19 This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And what we find in this interaction is some information about who John is not. Very interesting how John answers this crowd. They come asking, Who are you? And and maybe we could translate it another way. I don't think these guys asked very nicely. That's just my take on this. I think they came saying, Who in the world do you think you are? Preaching a message like this to our people and baptizing them. And you know what's interesting? We find out John answers this question. They ask him, who are you? But John doesn't answer their question directly. He doesn't say, here's who I am. He begins by answering the question who he's not. Listen to what he says. First he says, he is not Christ. Verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. 
John wants to set one thing straight right out of the chute here. He wants everybody to know whether they're thinking in the back of their minds. And we might suppose that some people were thinking that John was the Messiah. Uh, because of the, the strength of his answer to this question, he right out, of this, right out of the chute wants to make clear, I'm not Christ. I am not him. That's not who I am. You come asking me who I am, I am not Christ. So don't even be thinking that. It's not who I am. He's going to go on to tell him that Christ is there, but it's not him. Well, if you're not Christ, in verse 21, the first part, they say, well, then what then? Are you Elijah? Now, why would they ask, is he Elijah? Well, because according to Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, there was a prophecy from the Old Testament. Malachi, the Old Testament prophet, says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So they had this backdrop of Malachi chapter 4. They thought that God was going to send Elijah back before Messiah came. So they knew this, and it had been 400 years since any prophet had shown up on the scene in Israel, and John the Baptist kind of pops onto the scene out of nowhere, seemingly. So they're thinking, okay, maybe this guy is Elijah who's come back. By the way, do you remember how Elijah died in the Old Testament? That was a trick question. Elijah didn't die in the Old Testament. Just testing you there to see if you're awake and with me here. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 11. And they went on and talked, and behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And guess what happened? Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah didn't die. God took him up with a, with a fiery escort into heaven. And Jews believed... They believed that before Messiah came, that just as Elijah was taken up into heaven, that he was physically going to return and come back. And that was going to be part of the coming of the Messiah. And if you celebrated Passover with many Jewish families today, you might still find at the table an empty seat left there for guess whom? For Elijah. And they still expect to come. So it was a legitimate cause. Maybe you're Elijah. But John says, I am not Elijah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not Christ, and I'm not Elijah. Now, on the surface, John's answer, or excuse me, uh, yeah, John's answer might seem to contradict something Jesus says later, because over in Matthew chapter 17, uh, the disciples are speaking with Jesus, verse 10 and following, and the disciples asked, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And get this, the disciples then understood that he was speaking to them about who? John the Baptist. So what are we dealing with here? On the one hand, John is asked, are you Elijah? And he says what? No, I'm not. Jesus is asked about John the Baptist. Is he Elijah? And Jesus says, yes, he is. Who's right? Yes is the answer to that question. They are both right. How are they both right? Well, technically, technically John the Baptist is correct because when these guys come and ask him, are you Elijah? He knows what they mean. What they mean is, are you physically Elijah who's come back? And John says, no, I'm not physically Elijah who's come back. In fact, I think John knows and certainly Jesus knew Elijah was not physically ever coming back. 
No, Jesus reinterprets the prophecy of Malachi chapter 4 not to mean that Elijah himself was coming, but that one like Elijah, one whose ministry was like Elijah. And when you look at John the Baptist, his ministry looked a lot like Elijah. If you go back and read in, in First and Second Kings about Elijah, the message that he preached, the odd appearance that he had and the things that he did, it mirrors John the Baptist almost identical. And so Jesus is correct as well in saying, yes, Yes, John the Baptist is the Elijah promised in Malachi chapter 4, but that Elijah promised in Malachi chapter 4 was not the actual Elijah. It was one who's like him, a prophet like him. And John fits that bill. But when directly asked by the Jews, Elijah, I mean, John says, no, I'm not Elijah. Well, if you're not Christ and you're not Elijah, then who are you? You see these guys trying to search around and figure out who he is? They say, well, what about this? Are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? And he answers them, No. Who's this prophet they're talking about? Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. Moses had said these words long, long ago. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It's to him you shall listen, just as as you desire the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly, and so on and so forth. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. And there were many Jews who took this this passage from Deuteronomy and they were looking forward to another prophet who would come to herald the way of the Messiah. So they thought maybe John's this guy. If he's not Christ, if he's not Elijah, maybe he's this prophet that was prophesied by Moses. But John looks him square in the eyes and he says to him, No, you're still way off base. That's not who I am. Well, tired of putting out hypotheses, they finally say in verse 22, Well, who are you? Who are you? We need to give an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Get this. How John answers this part of the question is remarkable, and it tells us a lot that we need to know about John. What do you say about yourself? Who are you? Here's what he says. I'm a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Translation, here's what, here's what he's saying. He's saying, you Jews think I'm somebody important. You think I'm Christ. I'm not Christ. You think I'm somebody important like Elijah. I'm not Elijah. You think I'm somebody important like this prophesied prophet from Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'm nobody important. He says, I'm nothing but a voice. I'm just a voice. I, I'm, I'm just a voice that's crying out in the wilderness. Make way. Make straight the paths of the Lord. It was a reference to Isaiah chapter 40, and he was identifying himself in that role. But the way John answers this tells us something about the humility of this man. These guys come thinking he's somebody important, and John wants to lay down right at the outset, I'm nobody. I'm just a voice. I'm a nameless, faceless voice. And my identity really doesn't matter in the whole scheme of things at all. And John is going to turn this conversation around, and he's going to say... But you know what? There is one person whose identity does matter, and it's not me. It's Christ. Let me tell you about him. Get this. The greatest man who ever lived, Jesus said, when asked who he was, says, I'm nobody. I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice with a message. That's all I am. John understood his place, didn't he? He understood his place. It was Christ who was important, and he was just a voice pointing to him. 
James Voice observes this. He says, whenever a Christian layman, a minister, a writer, or teacher, or whoever it may be, gets to thinking that there's something important about him, he or she will always cease to be effective as a witness for Christ. The testimony will stop. Unfortunately, this has been true of many Christians and of many important Christian movements. And you know what? John the Baptist stands in stark contrast to what we see so often in the Christian world today in our culture. In a culture of of mega churches, celebrity preachers, Christian witnesses who like to have their faces and their names plastered all over everything, who love to have the attention of the crowds and people drawn to them. Here we have the greatest man in the world who says, I'm nobody. I don't want anybody looking at me. My identity doesn't even matter. All you need to know about is Christ. It's Christ. Let me just say this. The mark, I think, of a genuine call of God on a person's life is humility. The call of a legitimate preacher of the gospel, should, the mark of, uh, of that call in their life should be humility. The mark of any witness for Christ, whether it be a preacher of the gospel or an individual who's going to talk to their neighbor about the Lord Jesus Christ, they should exude humility. The message and the way the message is delivered should say everything about Christ and nothing about them. You show me someone who presents Christ in a way that is puffed up and proud and arrogant and argumentative and calling attention to themselves, and I will show you someone who is likely a fraud. If there was anybody who could have exalted himself as great, John could have. And John says, in light of the question of who he is, I am nobody. I'm just a voice pointing to Jesus. It's remarkable, isn't it? And I wonder if we see ourselves that way. When we talk to people about Christ, when we go out and, and we, we seek to share the gospel, do they, do they sense in us humility? Do they see somebody who's not wanting attention for themselves? Do they see somebody who just wants to point to Christ? So many times we can get puffed up in our, in our pride, can't we? We can start to begin to think we're somebody when we're not. Christ is everything and we're nothing. At the very best, we get the great and glorious privilege of being able to go and speak with our voice and point to Him. What a privilege. And John understood that as a privilege. And that's who John saw himself as. This is who I am. I am a voice. Well, what is it that he was after? What was his voice doing? He was bearing witness about the light. That's what John tells us. This voice, this, this humble John the Baptist was witnessing to Christ. I don't know if you caught this when we read the text, but in verse 30 and through 34 of chapter 1, John has this, he, he, uh, John the Apostle is quoting John the Baptist, if you will, as saying this about Jesus to these Jews who come to him. He's talking about the baptism when he had baptized Jesus. And he says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. And I myself uh, did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. What John is saying is this. John is saying, here's the deal. 
I, I'm, I'm a voice of one. I'm, I'm a witness and I'm bearing witness. This is my ministry to bear witness to Christ. And I'm just telling you what has been revealed to me. That's the essence of my ministry. I didn't know who Jesus was. Now, he knew who Jesus was. He just didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah until at what point? Did you catch it? Until he? Yeah, baptistry, baptistry. Yeah, yeah. Until he baptized him. Because he knew it because God had what? Had told him, had revealed to him, this is how you'll know who the Messiah is, the one on whom you see the what? Spirit descend like a dove. And when did that happen? At the baptism. And so it's at that time that John clearly understands fully who Jesus is and completely. God has revealed to John the identity of his son. And John says, here's my ministry. I'm a voice. That's all I am. That's who I am as a person. And the content of my ministry is to declare to you and to bear witness to you what God has shown to me. That's the essence of his ministry. And you know what? It's as simple as that. That's the ministry that God has called every one of us to. In some sense, God has shown to you who Christ is. He's brought somebody into your life who's told you the gospel. And in the mix of them telling you the gospel, God has opened your eyes, right? He's opened your eyes to the glory of the gospel of Christ. He's helped you to see that Jesus is more than just a prophet or a good man or a great teacher. That He is the Son of God who's come to live and to die for your sin. And that in believing on Him, you might have eternal life. God has has revealed that to you. The only way that any human being ever believes that is God reveals it to him. That's the only way. And John is saying, God's revealed it to me. And my ministry is bearing witness to that. That's all I am. That's all I do. Commentator Hendrickson says this, Christ is the light. The Baptist is the reflector. John testifies concerning the Christ like the moon testifies concerning the sun. That's a beautiful picture of what John's ministry was all about. And it is a glorious picture of what he has called every single one of us to do. Do you see that? Christ is The light of the glory of Christ is shown into your life. And the call of God upon your life is to go like the call was for John, to go and to be a reflector of that light to other people. You know, ministry, gospel ministry is no more complicated than that. It's people who have received the revelation of who Christ is going to other people and reflecting that to them, bearing witness. And John says, I'm doing this that all men might believe. That all men might believe. Hmm. Well, that's John. That's his message, excuse me, his mission. What is his message? Let me just say this very quickly to you. John is a nameless voice. He's a humble servant who's been sent by God. His mission is to be a reflector of the glory of Christ and the true identity of Jesus to the people he has opportunity to speak to. And the content of his message is simply this. It's what the Apostle John sets out to see. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Lord of the Old Testament. All throughout, that's who John the Baptist identifies him. Remember in verse 23, I'm a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of what? The Lord. The Lord there, the word translated a Lord, is the imagery of a, of a, of a king coming down the, the road, but the whole imagery is that 
Christ is the Lord of the Old Testament. And John is saying, in saying that I'm one who's called to make straight the path of the Lord, he's saying, I'm here to deliver a message about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and this is who he is. He is the Lord of the Old Testament. The, the Messiah, the one to whom the Old Old Testament was looking towards that would come and deliver God's people, that is who he is. This very Jesus is the Lord. But he's not just the Lord. He goes on to say, he's more than that. He's the Lord, but he's also the Lamb of God, isn't he? Did you see that? Down at the end, Jesus comes into the scene when John is speaking, and he says, behold, what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, the content of John's message that he's delivering is that this Jesus is the Lord of the Old Testament, but he's also the Lamb of God. That, 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 that term that has so much rich imagery that it would go all the way back to Abraham, that would picture everything that was happening in the sacrificial system of his day. And he's saying, this Jesus is the one who would come to die for your sins. That your sins are so dark that they require death to pay the price. And this man, this Jesus, is the Lamb who's come to be slain in your place, to shed His blood as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. He's the Lamb of God, whose blood can take away your sins. And he finishes that whole thing by simply saying at the very end there, did you catch the very last thing that John the Baptist says in his testimony here? Verse 34. I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. The Son of God. That this is God in flesh. You know, there's a world in which we live that's very confused about who Jesus Christ is. And as we go through this Christmas holiday season, just pay attention to all the different ways that Jesus is presented. And you'll see nothing short of a mass of sheer confusion. All these differing images of who Jesus is. Who is this man Jesus? For some, he's a nice guy. For some, he's a good teacher. Every false religion in the world has their own twist on who Jesus is, and they're all dead wrong, intended by the enemy, who's the source of all of them, to deceive people and lead them away from his true identity. But in the midst of all of the messages about who Jesus is, there stands the message of John the Baptist who in his day and in our day is still heralding the message. This Jesus is the Son of God. I've seen him. I've heard him. God has shown him to me. And God has sent me to show him to you. And you know, at the end of the day, John becomes a great model, doesn't he, for us all. We weren't all called to be the initial herald of the king, but in some sense we've all been called to be a herald of the king, haven't we? Because the Great Commission applies to you and it applies to me. And God's called every one of us to go and to be that person who's sent by God to go to someone else and to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ, to tell them rightly who He is, that He's the Son of God, that He's God in flesh, that He's the Word who became flesh, that He's a Lamb who was slain for their sins. And then if they would believe on Him, they could have eternal life. You know, I pray at the end of my life that there would be somebody or some people who would look back on the testimony of my life like we're looking back on the testimony of John and they would be able to say 
there was a man sent from God. His name was Greg. And he bore witness to the light. And because of that, I believed. And I found life in Christ. What about you? When the testimony of your life is reviewed at the end of it, will there be those people who walk the world who can look back and say, there there was this woman sent by God to me. Her name was Becky, or her name was Judy, or her name was Pat. And she bore witness to the light. And because of her witness, I heard the gospel, and I believed and found eternal life. I pray that would be the testimony of every single one of our lives. Don't you? So I wonder this morning, as we wrap this thing up, who's God calling you to go to? Who's that person that God is, is sending you to? That you might bear witness to the light. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know who you are. For you've revealed it to us. And you've revealed it to us because you've sent people to us to tell us. And we thank you, dear God, for the men and the women who have borne testimony of you in our lives. I thank you for that. For those Sunday school teachers in my life when I was a kid who who bore witness to me about Jesus, your son, who he was. Thank you about for the, that revival preacher who preached that gospel message that you used to convict my little heart and draw me to yourself. Thank you for that lay counselor lady who met with me that day and helped me to understand exactly who Jesus is and what that means for me. And I thank you for all those that have uh, been across the path of my life who have been sent by you to bear witness to who you are. It's such a part of the work you've done in my life. And I thank you, dear God, for those who sit in this room who are people, men, women, who have been sent by you, who've been faithful to that call to go and to bear witness to the light. And yet we, we confess before you this morning that, that far too often we ignore that call rather than heed it. You put people in our lives and you call us to be that man, to be that woman who's sent and we don't go. And because we don't go, there's no preacher. And because there's no preacher, there's no gospel. And because there's no gospel, they don't hear. And if they don't hear, how can they be saved? And I pray this morning that we would be convicted by the testimony of John the Baptist on two fronts. Number one, that if there's someone here who does not know Jesus, who you are, they think you're just a good guy, a happy teacher who taught about love and kindness and compassion, a good prophet maybe. But that's it. I pray that they would hear the testimony of the greatest man who ever lived before him, that you are much more than that, that you are the Lamb of God who's died on the cross for their sin. And that this morning they can believe upon you and find eternal life. And on the second level, I pray for us all as we navigate the busyness of these next weeks leading up to the celebration of the birth of your Son, the advent of our Messiah, that we would hear your voice calling us to be that man and that woman that's sent by God to somebody else, that perhaps even this Christmas season you might use our voice to be a voice crying in the wilderness that somebody hears and believes and finds eternal life.
Destroy our fears, Lord. Give us courage in the power of the gospel. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.